what I thought I'd do to start with is just to start with setting you up. So imagine that Vic and Ray and Barbara and Carrie Ann and the whole team here went to town and set up Innovation Pavilion as an absolute, like, quintessential, delicious uh, display of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and um, systems designers and marketers and web specialists and strategists, everything that anyone could possibly ever need. And the top and the most wonderful and the most magnificent and magnanimous of the field were all gathered here, okay? It was like the like divine delight as far as a work person or an entrepreneur goes, all right? And you were welcome to go in, but when you went in, there was a condition. You had to carry a tray, and the tray had glasses of water on it that were filled to the brim, okay? And as you were walking through this... Um, masterfully crafted and a fantastic display of people and intelligence and skills and offerings. There was one small condition, which is is that if you dropped a single drop, somebody would be right behind you and they'd chop off your head. (laughs) So a small string attached, okay? But everyone was welcome to come in, okay? Now just imagine... If that was actually something that was playing out, you were in a situation where everything that you could dream of was there and on offer and available, okay? And yet the condition was is that you had something and you absolutely had to be careful. And if you didn't, if you were not careful, if you dropped a single drop of water out of any one of those cups, it was off with your head, okay? So just think about it. You could be in the middle of that. You can listen. You can engage. But you cannot lose your focus of attention because if you did, your life would be at risk. Now, if we just take this um, little story and think about it, you know, when we lose our vision and we get so immersed in focus, that's almost the same as if we lose our life force. When we get so absorbed in the vision of what we're trying to do and we're not able to attend to the focus at hand, we're not able to get things done, that's also something similar. We lose our capacity to have our life force manifest. When we get stuck into the associations and ideas and proliferations and we lose context of how we are living in the world and the purpose and the meaning of what we're doing here, That's another way where we lose perspective. And it is almost as if we have lost our life force. Okay? And so there are many ways in which we can use this metaphor as a way of describing when we enter into the working world and our focus is not well established in our body, in our mind, and we get absorbed into either the excitement or we get knocked around by the vicissitudes or the things that happen to us that make us upset, then we lose our energy, we lose our life force, and there's a little way in which we are not fully alive. All right? Now, let's say we turned it around and we said, okay, we've got the same thing happening. We've got this 
magnificent gathering of everything possibly anybody could want or need or use or have to augment what they're already doing to support their uh, work, to support their entrepreneurial ideas, to support their, their vision of how things could be a better place for themselves and for the world. And they have the same tray. And now this time, rather than something in the back going to chop off your head, what happens is, is is that if you are able to walk around with a tray with glasses filled to the brim and not spill a drop, then you will be assured of having unlimited wealth. Would you be interested? Would it be something that you would be motivated to try and do? Would there be an interest to try and do something that you wouldn't normally do wouldn't, you don't normally carry a tray around with that kind of interest. But if you were assured of having unlimited wealth, would it be a motivation for you to try? Well, think about it. When we have our attention suffused in our body, when we're able to navigate something in a way where we're relaxed, where we're not getting tripped up, where we actually can manage the balance between focus and vision, where we are able to be relaxed and flexible and responsive, when we feel content with what's happening, when we feel joyful, when we feel at ease, when we are not confused about who we are and what we're doing in this world. Is that of any value to you? So the whole practice of bringing mindfulness at work is not some kind of little abstract thing that sits in a corner on a shelf somewhere. It actually is about bringing mindfulness into the whole of what we are doing in order both so that we are not losing our life force and so that we are moving towards a wealth that is unlimited and is not dependent on outward worldly um, markers as the only criteria for our internal sense of happiness and well-being. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to abandon them. It doesn't mean that we need to abandon our financial security or our financial position or our power or our influence and all the rest of that. But it means that those things are not the sole place where our sense of contentment and ease and well-being and joy are coming from that our, all of those things can be coming from another place as we engage in our work. And so really it's up to you as to figure out whether this has any relevance, any applicability, any crossover, any tie-in, because it's your life, it's not mine. Now, what I um, was hoping to do with you today is... Um, have a series of little workshops where we can explore what this looks like in uh, kind of an engaged way and have a time for uh, discussion and question and, um, and see how we go. How does that sound? Yeah? Now, one of the characteristics of meditation, which is really important to know about, it's not very complicated. It's not so much about doing something special and different as it is about bringing a few very clear qualities into whatever one is doing, okay? So rather than having to go to the monastery, you let the workplace be your monastery. You let your home be your monastery. You let the meeting room be your monastery. You let the conference room be your monastery. The monastery is here. It's not out there. 
So I might be confusing to you because I look strange compared to all the rest of you. I don't have hair and I wear strange clothes. This is not a requirement. What's requirement is the understanding of how to bring the qualities of attention to what we are doing in a way where we can begin to get a sense of focus and vision. The focus is of what's actually happening right now, and the vision is on how to relate to what's happening right now in a way where we're moving away from our habitual tendencies to fight and to resist and to contract and to fear and to move towards what is more kind and compassionate and spacious for ourselves and in our relationship with others. All right? And so, you know, we have our bodies and our hearts and our minds, and we have the things that we do as the context in which we are working in. We walk, we talk, we think, we engage, we do all kinds of stuff. All right? Most of the time when we are doing this, we're doing this in an encapsulated uh, bubble where things are compartmentalized. So our work is often totally separated from our play. Our work is often totally separated from our sense of prayer or going to church or our sense of being in connection with something which is larger. And what meditation is asking is, is, is that we begin to start softening these um, compartmentalization and bring a sense of joy and playfulness into our work, bring a sense of presence and something that's much greater into the present moment in everything that we're doing. And so rather than we have an hour for this and an hour for that and an hour for this and an hour for that, when meditation begins to be included into one's life and suffuse one's life, then there just is what's happening in the present moment and what's happening in the present moment and what's happening in the present moment. And we bring joy and play and presence and spaciousness and a sense of prayer and graciousness to everything. Okay? And the benefit of that is not only something that we experience in ourselves, which is a sense of more peace and ease and relaxation, but there's also a benefit that we experience in our families. There's more joy, there's more connection, and there certainly is an enormous benefit that happens in work because as we begin to relate from that place in ourselves, we begin to connect with each other from that place. As we connect and work with each other from a place of interest and human connection and responsiveness, people feel fed, they feel heard, they feel understood, they feel responded to and supported. When people feel those things, you get the best out of a team when you have a team that is working optimally you are able to succeed and do many more things than you can when they're not okay so the advantages when we ourselves are beginning to shift and allow this to come more and more into our lives begin to be spread out in a wider and wider circle mindfulness at work is mindfulness at life it's not separated yeah So the question then is to see whether or not there's sufficient interest to begin to start applying these concepts in a way that does not ask you to separate out, put out extra time sitting for hours and hours and hours in silence, but to begin to bring the qualities of mindfulness and attention into the things that you're doing during your regular day. What is that? You get up in the morning, you take a shower, you put on clothes, you have a cup of coffee. 
You have some breakfast. You get in a car. You drive somewhere. You go to another place. You open a door. You talk to people. You know, we're on computers. We're on cell phones. We're on iPhones. We're on iPads. We're interfacing with different forms of media. None of these are places where we need to shut out what is happening in our bodies and bring a particular quality of mindfulness to what is going on. We can bring mindfulness into each of these situations. So mindfulness at work, what does that look like? When you're standing, take a moment to feel what it feels like to stand. And we'll go through some exercises to get a sense of what it actually feels like to bring qualities of mindfulness into the present moment when we're interacting with each other. And see, as that begins to grow and develop, how the strength of that begins to spill out and influence other areas of one's life. And how the value of it then begins to to see, you know, it starts paying off dividends. So everybody, you know, you're business people. You're smart. You know that you don't put investment into something unless it doesn't pay, if it doesn't pay off. Okay? So if you don't see any dividends in something after a period of time, if there's no reason for it to be paying off, there's no reason to be putting more energy in that way. Okay? So there has got to be a reason, a value, a payoff that comes from bringing mindfulness into the present moment. And if we are not able to see the results or we don't have a sense of how this is leading to results, then it's hard to sustain the energy or the interest. And that's totally normal. You know? But part of the reason why the idea of the innovation pavilion is so brilliant is because what happens for most people when they are entrepreneurs is they've got brilliant ideas, but they might need some help or some coaching. They might need some business advice. They might need to have some experience with somebody who's done it before, who understands, yes, there are times when you take risks and you don't see much results. There are times when it takes some time. They've got perspective. And so a place like this can hold the, um, I'm not sure what the right word is, the perspective for the people who are starting to have the support that they need at every step of the level so that they can continue even though they feel themselves discouraged. And the same is true in meditation. You start and you don't see any results. You say, what's the use of that? And then you speak to somebody else who's been doing it for a while. You say, that's actually quite normal. You know, I'll show you. When you do it like this or do it a little bit differently, it has this effect. So one of the things that happens in a place like Innovation Pavilion is that you've got a community of people that are forming around an idea to support each other towards a common goal. And one of the things that can happen when people begin to get a sense of the value of bringing mindfulness into the workplace is the way that people can support each other to work towards a common goal and what that might look like. You know, how to communicate with each other about it, how to um, talk about what's actually happening, how to share the successes that you have or the frustrations that you have, what that looks like. And in so doing, in being a community, beginning to talk to each other about this, to begin to get a sense of what it's like to live with more awareness, with more um, interest towards doing things with integrity, and to not just responding out of fear or out of the patterns that normally drive us, how that feels as a human being and how that affects one's work, 
how that affects one's teens, how that affects one's overall capacity to function, one's productivity, and what is needed to support that. I'm one. You're many. I come maybe once a month. Maybe we can come twice a month. But it's going to really be up to you as to decide whether this is something you want to move forward with in a way that has some juice in it. I can't do that for you. But I can certainly talk about some of the advantages that come when you do and some of the disadvantages that come when you don't. (laughs) And don't get confused about my hairstyle. (laughs) It's not a prerequisite. (laughs) Okay, so what I'd like everyone to do is to stand up. So we all have to stand up all the time. And sometimes when we're standing up, or a lot of times when we're standing up, we're standing up in order to go somewhere or to do something. But let's stand just to stand for a moment and see what that feels like. So just let your attention drop into your feet. So feel your feet connecting with the floor. And as you're standing, allow your body to come into alignment. So normally, particularly if we're doing a lot of business-type work, our energy is very much in our head. It's not in our body. Sometimes we can't even feel our body. So let's just take a minute and feel our body. Feel our feet. Let our knees slightly bend. We want our sitting bones tucked underneath us. So if we imagine we had a nice big tail like a fox, we tuck it between our legs. That takes our sitting bones and puts them in the right place. And then the belly can be open and soft and the shoulders can be relaxed and down, and the hands can just be resting. Now, we don't need to close our eyes. Our eyes can be open. But what does the body feel like when we bring attention to our body? And for many, it can be a quite unusual experience because our attention is so not in our body, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But we're not asking it to feel any particular way. We're just beginning to get a sense of what is present. So this quality of mindfulness is clear about what is present. It's not asking it to be a particular way. Just standing here. And we can allow our thoughts, but we don't have to follow them. We don't need to worry about what's happening next. We can just make an invitation to be just present standing and feel what is here. And just notice if there is any muscles that are tight, we can invite them to relax. So mindfulness supports relaxation, and relaxation then supports our ability to focus. So you think, what on earth is exciting or interesting about just standing here? Well, the thing about this standing here that's so lovely is is that our bodies live in the present moment. They don't live in the past, and they don't live in the future. And one of the things about being in an entrepreneurial world is there's all kinds of energy about what's going to happen in the future. And so what we need to do is to balance that with what's actually happening right now. And the more we're able to bring our attention into our body, our feet, into our legs, into our stomach, into our shoulders, into our hands, our hands can only exist in the present moment. They don't exist in the future. So we don't need to worry about our intelligence that it's going to turn into mashed potatoes and dribble away. 
Our intelligence will be quite adequately cared for if we spend some time bringing attention to our body. In fact, our intelligence can become sharper when we relax. So learning how to relax, learning how to bring focus and attention to what's happening, and learning how to bring attention into our body is an important element in bringing mindfulness to work in the workplace. Now, one of the things that happens for many people is is that we're multitasking in a way that allows our attention to move away from our body. And I'm going to ask you to pay attention to a number of different things and see if that helps you just become very focused on what is happening in your body. So what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to walk around until you hear the bell ring. And when you walk, what I want you to focus on is moving your feet in rhythm with your breath and having your hands be opposite to the movement of your feet. So if one foot is moving in one way, the hand is moving in the other way. So you've got three things to focus on. Feet, hands, and breath. And see how your body feels when you have these three things to focus on. See what it feels like. So just go find a place to walk somewhere around here where you'll be able to hear my bell and just see what it feels like to walk, keeping your feet and your breath and your hands in motion. Before you do that, I'm just going to show you how it is for me to do that so you get a sense visually of what I mean, okay? So when I'm walking, I want to have my feet and my hands in opposite So my breath is I'm breathing in three, and I'm breathing out three. So three steps in breath, and three steps out breath. And just notice what happens to the thoughts when you do this. See what it feels like. Please go ahead. was that? What was your experience? Yes. First I started making an effort to coordinate, focus yeah. the three things yeah. until I let go. Yes. Afterwards I noticed I started to be Yes. And more relaxed. Yes. It took a while though. Yes. Quite pleasant. Yes. Afterwards. And so what was the quality of your body afterwards? More relaxed but more agile. Okay. And what was the quality of your mind? Letting go. Okay. Would anyone else like to share what that was like for you? Yes. It's like running. And so what was it like in like running? The peace that comes. Okay. Did anyone have a different experience? It wasn't peaceful? Sort of. So for me, I, it made me aware of actually how tired I am. I've been downstairs doing all 
kinds of things that had a very, very busy week. If I didn't come to this, I probably worked another three or four hours tonight. And when I got into with my body, I realized how tired I was. So one of the things about mindfulness is that it actually is a reality check. And sometimes the reality that we realize is, is that actually we're exhausted. And so when you could see that you were so tired, what was it like for you to see that? Actually, that I was glad that I came. I yeah. I should probably go home and rest after. <laughs> yeah. Which was good, because I probably have been feeling that for a day or two, but I hadn't been aware of how tired I was. Right. And Jeff, did you have something you wanted to share? Interesting, because I like Christmas. Kind of the opposite. I was really tired, and then we did exercise. I felt I don't know. Energized, energized, maybe a little too extreme. I definitely felt a more energized than I was previously. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For me, I, I think I was much more aware of being in a physical body. Yes. Um, that I normally am. I feel pretty consolidated most of the time, and this this was the embodiment of being a spiritual being inside a physical body. Right, yeah. So what you can see is is that, all right, we had three minutes of walking meditation. It was like not ten days. It wasn't even an hour. It was three minutes, yeah. And, you know, there are times when you need to walk from here to there. You've got to go to a meeting. You've got to get some coffee. You need to go to the toilet. There's no reason why you can't do this when you do that walking, Okay. So we have like kind of this idea that if we lock into the things that we need to think about, that the more we lock into them, the more productive it will be. And there's a fallacy with that kind of thinking. You know, it, it pays off to a limited way, and then it starts um, draining us, and we lose contact with what's actually happening. We lose focus. We don't even know that we're tired. We don't even know that we're tense because we're so focused on our thinking. We don't have any other input that's actually happening. And so to make it a priority when you're walking, to drop your attention into your body and just walk is something that all of us can do. And it does not depend on the livelihood that you have. This is not limited for people who have a spiritual vocation. It's limited by your uh, motivation. That's the limitation, whether you feel motivated to do it or not. That's all. Now, last time, how many how many were here last time? So a few. And Barbara very generously made a sign, said, please turn off your cell phones. Okay? And we hung it up on the front so that when people were coming out of the elevator, everyone would see that. I would like to ask you all to please take out your cell phones. <laughs> and before you look at them or turn them on, just I want you to just feel them in your hands. Okay? Just feel the weight. All right? Feel the weight. And just begin to get a sense of all of the associations of what happens when you turn this thing on and you start looking at the emails that are there, the stuff that is likely to be there, the things that you're anticipating that might be there, the feelings you have about whether it's come or it's not come and what that means, okay? And just notice your physical body as you're thinking about the anticipation of looking. All right. Now, before you look, I want you to bring your attention very focused in your body. Drop your attention in your feet. Feel yourself sitting on the chair. Feel your shoulders. 
Feel where your arms and your hands are. Get your attention really well grounded in your body. All right? And now I want you to open up your cell phones and have a look. And keep your attention in your body. Go ahead, look. So if you don't have your cell phone with you, you can imagine. (laughs) Look, open them up, have a look and see what's there. And keep your attention in your body. Don't absorb into the ideas or the projections or the imaginations of all of the stuff that's there. Stay focused in your body, but also attend to what you see. Now, with your attention focused in your body, I'd like you to open up one email and read it. And as you're reading it, bring your attention back into your body. Feel your feet, feel your seat, feel your back. Okay, now you can put the emails away, put your phones away. What was that like? Well, I was just imagining it, but it was pretty clear that when I started to read my imaginary email, I really went into my head. I mean, I literally could feel the energy move. So when you shifted back into your body as you were imagining reading your email, what happened? I smiled. Okay. What happened for somebody else? It's a hard shift. Why is it hard? Uh, when I'm reading the email, it's very anxiety-driven and stress-driven, and shifting back from that from that feeling into a feeling of body and trying to ground that, that reality and or also reality, everyone look at it. It's difficult trying to shift between body and mind. So that it, it's, it's familiar to move into the emails and to just absorb into the whole world of anxiety. It's not familiar to stay grounded in the body. Agreed. Is it more peaceful to be anxious or more peaceful to be in your body? It's more peaceful to be in your body. Okay. So... Anytime we're moving into something that's unfamiliar, there is in that as well something that's a little bit anxiety-producing. And there's a whole interesting conversation about the fact that many of us stay locked into habits that we know are not good for us and don't serve us and haven't for a long time because they're familiar. You know? It's easier to do something that we know than to step into something that we don't know. Yeah. And yet, one has to consider, you know, the value of doing something that we don't know and whether it's actually important enough to feel peaceful rather than anxious to stay with the discomfort of doing something that we don't know. To learn to tolerate the discomfort of peace. (laughs) If I passed out a piece of paper and I'd say, how many people want to feel peaceful and how many people don't want to suffer? I imagine every single person would be able to sign their name. Is there anybody who doesn't want to be peaceful and wants to suffer? I don't think so. But the reality is, is that in order to be peaceful and in order not to suffer, it's something that we have to learn. And it's uncomfortable to learn. 
because we have to give up things that we're familiar and used to that are so much who we think we are that we have like a kind of a minor identity crisis if we're not feeling anxious. And and it might sound ridiculous, but it's actually the truth. We have to learn how to tolerate the anxiety of not being able to locate ourselves in these familiar ways in order to develop new, more peaceful ways, satisfying ways, nourishing ways, fulfilling ways. So standing is part of work, walking is part of work, iPhones and computers are all part of work, talking is part of work. So I would like you to um, find somebody in this room that you would like to uh, say a few words to. So before, before you start talking with each other, because talking is also a huge place where we just go into patterns, all right? We're not at all connected with what's happening in our body. We're just going into patterns, and we absorb into the idea of trying to be nice and friendly without actually knowing anything about what's happening in our body as we're doing that, okay? So I want you to try something a little bit different this time, all right? So this time, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to stay focused in your body. And when you hear the bell, I want you to stop whatever you're doing or whatever you're saying. Just stop in the middle of the sentence and bring your attention back into your body. Okay? So everyone, just listen to the bell and, and bring your attention into your body. And just be uh, attentive to the fact that you're standing in close proximity to somebody else, which is different than when you're sitting or by yourself. And now at the next bell, I'd like you to introduce yourselves. And then when you hear the bell after that, then just come into silence and bring your attention into how it feels in your body. Okay? Just come back into the focus of attention on your own body and see what that feels like as you've just been talking. Now I'd like to change the subject from introduction to uh, say something uh, maybe kind or pleasant to the person you're speaking to. And, and, and as you're doing that, again, the focus is on what it feels like in your body as you're speaking. So the next one is also something that we have to do and is also quite challenging, is to say something that may be um, a constructive criticism. Maybe, um, and you don't need to make something up. And if you don't have anything to say, it's okay just to be quiet. But it might be that there's some small thing that you would like to say that's got a little bit, something in it that's just a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Just a little bit uncomfortable. 
And normally, um, we have all kinds of defense mechanisms and reactions to what happens when we need to talk about stuff like this. All right? So see what happens if you can really relax in your body. Really relax. And not say anything in any way that's hurtful or anything that's dishonest. But maybe to say something's just, just a little bit uncomfortable. So now we've had three different things. We've introduced ourselves. We've said something uh, kind or pleasant. We've said something that was possibly a little bit uncomfortable or maybe some kind of constructive criticism. With this last round, just share what it was like to speak in this way and how different this was or how similar it was than the way it normally is for you when you're talking with somebody, when you're using body as a reference. Okay? like to invite you to come back into sitting and uh, we can just share with the larger group whatever you'd like to about anything from that uh, exercise that feels relevant to just speak out into this larger group. How was that for you? Yes? It, it is different, although it's quite liberating. There's no have-tos. There's no have-tos? Yes. And you let go Would anyone else like to share about their experience of doing it? I'm fairly comfortable doing this this kind of exercise. We do a lot in our work. Uh, what was different was was uh, working to pay attention to my body while I was doing it. That was different. So can, can you say more about why it was different and what results that had? Um, I think I relaxed more into what I was saying because the attention wasn't as much on what I was saying. Okay. It's more on trying, you know, working to pay attention to what was going on in my body. Right. And I, I think for me and for many people that, that the uh, if you're doing something that's so-called constructive criticism, I love all these meta, uh, meta, meta words <laughs> for stuff like that, that my breathing changes. That was what I noticed about that. So what happens to your breathing? It was more shallow. And that was when you were giving or when you were receiving? Giving. Giving. Okay. And when you focused on your body, what happened to your breathing? Um, well, it kind of went away. I, I didn't notice it as much. Okay. So something shifted with the shallow breathing when you focused on your body? Yeah. Okay. Anybody else like to share? Just go ahead and ask the Terry. We were just sharing about the she had during the week. And I was uh, confused by the idea that we were focusing on our body while we're in interaction. And I did feel, I don't know how to say it, but more, you know, more peaceful and more focused. But I also felt like if you're in an inter- interaction like work, it's you know, possibly a difficult interaction. 
you're focusing on your body, it can be hard to be, you know, in that interaction. But, you know, she pointed out that actually that hopefully you're more to the present. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's why. So we have this idea that at work or in certain circumstances we're not allowed to do this. Somehow this is something that's supposed to happen in a behind closed doors, you know. But the reality is, is that you know we can choose where we put our attention, and we have that choice any every moment of the day. That really is our choice where we place our attention, and we can see that when we place our attention in certain areas, it will have certain effects. Yeah. And when we place it in other areas, it's going to have different effects. And so learning how to let attention be with the body and the breath throughout our whole day is something that we need to practice, but will have effects. And I've heard already a little bit of people talking about a more sense of relaxation and presence and ease and you know stuff that's normally a little bit um, edgy. There's a more more capacity in oneself to find a way to deal with it. You were going to say something. Yeah, just because I think it's really relevant to this group. We um, presented to an investor this week. I'm very interested in investing in our company. Obviously, a very good thing. Um, and I, at the time, was very very focused on the task of the presentation, answering the questions, all of that. When I got out and talked to my co-founder and another key employee. He immediately said, this person isn't consistent with our values or our vision or, uh, and, and what you're describing is very predatory in the approach that this person took with you. And I was really taken aback by that because, I mean, I was sitting in this meeting, I'm the one telling the story, and that they were picking up on things, I mean, I thought that went really good, they're really interested, you know, kind of thing. And so... I spent some time last night going, how did I miss that? Like, how did I miss the details of a story that I was telling myself? And so today is kind of making me aware of that, that because my focus was on the task of presenting and, you know, winning an investment, I missed that the spirit of a potential partnership was very, very obviously not a good match. And so that's a very profound kind of business lesson and again yep. another reason I'm glad I'm here tonight. <laughs> so this this is a segue into what I wanted to talk about, which I'd like to develop over the next few classes. And this is is that, you know, I think there's all kinds of studies and statistics about it's not brilliance, it's not um, a good idea. It's emotional intelligence, which is actually the thing that sets um, success people's success stories above other. It's emotional intelligence which makes companies work well, which makes teams work well, which makes visions um, come into fullness and fruition is the ability to read what you're feeling yourself and respond appropriately to the people around you. And as you beautifully described, when we are focused on a task and we're not connected to our own internal sense of things, our capacity to do that is considerably less than when we are. So one of the reasons why um, this metaphor of carrying a tray filled with water, cups of water brimming to the top and not spilling a drop, in order to do that in an environment where there's all kinds of stuff that's really tantalizing and appealing and interesting and evocative, is, is that we have got to be paying attention to what we're doing with our body. 
where our body is, how we're moving, how we're holding the tray, how we're navigating, what's happening with the people around us, our attention has got to be in our bodies as we're doing that. We can't be rigid in our body because we're not going to be able to do that, but we can't be so kind of lax and relaxed that we don't have any kind of appropriate tension in it. So body intelligence is a very important uh, segue to emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is like probably top on the list of the kinds of intelligences that need to be developed in order for uh, um, success in uh, working environments, but also um, for tremendously uh, uh, vast differences in, in family and personal lives as well. Okay? Yes? I totally get it because it's like I'm an empath, right? So if there's one feeling a mile away, I pick up on it. You know, it's like, you know, I'm just real sensitive to this stuff. And what I've learned is, is, is that I'm much more effective in my ability to respond to another person when I'm grounded in myself, okay? So what I tend to do or have done is I, I kind of, I merge, I fall into the energy field of the other person, I lose myself, and then I have to pull myself out of some kind of a crevasse. I don't know how I got there, right? And that process of pulling myself out of crevasse is often accompanied by um, physically very unpleasant sensations, exhaustion, tiredness, sickness, kind of blank mind states, all the rest of that, all right? The more that I'm able to stay grounded, the less I'm falling into crevasses, and the more I'm actually able to be responsive to another person. So my capacity to empathize increases considerably when I hold my own ground, all right? And I've got very good boundaries. It's counterintuitive, but it's actually accurate. It's totally accurate. When we have our own ground, when we know what's happening in our own body, we're much more able to respond skillfully to what's happening in another person. And so I had to learn out of decades, decades, decades of like falling into crevasses and hauling myself out and trying to figure out what happened, you know? It was, and it's not been an easy learning. So I'm not saying this because it's an easy thing. 
I'm saying it because it's been a terribly worthwhile thing that, you know, when I'm around other people who are feeling whatever they're feeling, I can empathize with them, but I'm not so knocked out of whatever center, kilter, balance by what's going on with them that I'm not able to respond in a way which is skillful. Ken Wilbur writes this fabulous thing in part of his introduction to um, integral spirituality, and he talks about good girls and, and uh, good girls and bad girls and and bad boys, good boys. So that's like the the psychological health of a from a female perspective and the psychological health from a male perspective, and he maps it out fabulously. And one of the things that he uses is is uh, this language of the difference of um, merging through fusion and causing the chaos that comes from that, okay? They're actually, your, your, your energetic fields are fused with somebody else. And this is what happens in, uh, for, you know, the, the female side of the perspective when we are not coming from a very well-grounded place, is we tend to think that health is when we fuse, but fusion causes chaos, and it's not helpful. Yeah. And then he goes on to talk about you know what happens for the men when they tend to isolate; they don't know how to connect, and so you know, and the, the competitiveness and the isolation causes this whole other thing. So he maps out the the health in the male perspective and in the female perspective, and the lack of health in both perspectives. And it's, you know, I think the languaging that he uses is very accurate in terms of my, my personal experience of what happens. I think, it's, I think he's got it right, you know. So one of the things that happens when we start to meditate and we start bringing these qualities of mindfulness into our own arena is we see things about ourselves that are revealing. And some of them are, you know, take a little bit of um, skill to work with. And that's okay. So in our becoming effective in our workplace, we also need to become more self-aware of who we are. That's what happens. Whether you signed up for it or not, it comes with a package. (laughs) So there's a couple of things that are really helpful in meditation, and one of them is the is the the muscle of changing focus from a narrow focus to a wider focus, okay? So right now you can focus on me and what I'm saying, or you can focus on the space in the room. So when you focus on me and what I'm saying, it will have one experience. When you open up your attention and focus on the whole room, I am not I didn't disappear and you probably still can hear me but it'll sound very, or feel very different, okay? So our capacity to move from smaller focus to wider focus and to do that at will, okay, is part of our skill in being able to navigate in the workplace in a way where we are doing that with a sense of relaxation and ease and responsiveness to what we're we're working with. Sometimes our attention needs to focus, And sometimes our habit is to focus, and what we need is to open up our attention in order to have a much wider perspective of what's happening so that we feel much more relaxed and held in something that's much bigger. Now, when you open up the field to include this whole room, you can still hear me. You can still understand what I'm saying. 
but your attention is not locked in on me and what I'm saying. Okay? We can do that. We can go from narrow focus to wider focus in many, many, many times in, in, in a minute, in an hour, in a day. And we can learn to decide when do we need to focus narrowly and when do we need to open up that focus. So the last time I was here, somebody brought up this fabulous um, comment or question about the fact that there are time sharing so that we've got our attention focused on different things sequentially. We've got multitasking where apparently we're doing many things at the same time. And then I brought up the third option, which is is that you open up the field of awareness to be very wide. And within that, there is things that are known that are arising and ceasing in a wide open field of awareness. So you're neither time sharing nor are you multitasking because your attention is actually in something that's big enough to hold it all. And for me, the ability to learn how to move from time sharing to wide open focus has been the result of um, practice as well as has given the result of much more um, flexibility and sense of, of inner confidence that I have. So I want to try with you another short guided meditation and then afterwards um, we can have more discussion and then maybe wrap up. Is that right? Yeah, okay. So I'd like everybody to sit. And, you know, the chairs, there's a special designer that, that, that all of these chairs have been in, and it's to kind of make your posture as poor as possible. <laughs> you have to go to special engineering school to be part of this kind of design. So the only way to counteract that is to, is to sit on the edge of the chair. Now, they're really, the, the magic thing about sitting upright, the only magic thing is, is that when your spine is upright like this, your shoulders can relax. So the irony is, is that when your back is curved, then it actually causes tension in your neck and it causes tension. You have to hold yourself up against gravity. But when your back is upright, then your alignment makes it possible so that your shoulders can relax and you're not having to fight against gravity. The more relaxation that there is, the more your breathing can happen uncontrolled and unimpeded. So when your body is relaxed, it supports your mind relaxing. And when your mind relaxes, it supports your body relaxing. These two support each other. So taking just some time to sit in a way that's just relaxed and upright and aligned. And so the image would be that the body is like a mountain. And there is an awful lot of meditation exercises and practices that have to do with allowing attention to relax with the breath. And in this meditation exercise, we're going to let the breath be just like the wind. So the body is like a mountain, and the breath is just like the wind. It comes and it goes, and there's nothing that you need to do about it or worry about it or change it or focus. Just let it be, just like the wind. And the mind 
is as vast and as wide and as open as the sky. We're not focused on anything. There's just this wide, open, spacious presence that is able to receive whatever arises. Clouds come, winds come, eclipses come, everything comes. And the sky is wide and open and vast and spacious. So the body is like a mountain. It's upright and it's dignified and it's strong and relaxed. And the breath is like the wind. It comes and goes according to its own nature. There's nothing you need to do with it or about it or for it. You don't even need to attend to it. Just let it be. And allow the mind to be wide and open like the sky. And within the sky are clouds, and within the mind are thoughts and feelings and impressions and ideas, but there's nothing to do with them, for them. You don't need to follow them. You don't need to get rid of them. You don't need to collect them. You don't need to organize them. There's just knowing and knowing and knowing, a clear, open, spacious, all-pervasive knowing. Body continues like a mountain, strong, grounded, dignified, upright, at ease. Breath comes and goes, comes and goes on its own. Mind is wide and open and vast and spacious. Anxiety can be known like a cloud. The idea of wanting to get something done can arise like a cloud. And for the moment, we can just rest in this vast, open, spacious awareness and allow the clouds to be there. This kind of meditation is different from the normal association that most people have with meditation. 
which is about focusing the mind on a particular thing in order to uh, arrive at a particular mind state. This is the opposite. We are opening the focus. We are not focusing on a particular thing, and we're not oriented at trying to achieve a certain mind state. But to begin to get a sense that this mind, which is vast and open and spacious, is actually our nature. This is actually what's there when everything else kind of clears out. This is our kind of resting point. Okay? So one of the things about this whole meditation and all of the meditations is, is that in a kind of a Western contemporary context, people are interested in meditation. In a more traditional context, people come and they start with an ethical foundation in understanding how that is an important foundation. And ethics and generosity then support the mind being able to open and relax. In our Western context, we think, well, we just need meditation and that's all we're really interested in. We're not interested in any of this religious mumbo-jumbo stuff. Forget that. But what we forget is, is, is that when we live with integrity, there is a direct correlation between how we live and what we happens when we're trying to focus our attention in these other ways. So if you've been involved in some kind of an aggressive takeover and have demolished you know, whole lifestyles for large numbers of people because that's been your priority, when you sit and pay attention, you're not going to have a peaceful mind. I can probably assure you of that. Okay? And when we live in a way where our focus is not only on our own needs, but we're focused also on being able to support something that benefits others as well, when we live in a way where when we have something to offer, we can give in a way that's generous, then that tethers us to our own goodness. And our own goodness is an essential thing that we need to be connected to as we are opening up the experience of what this is to be human. So ethics and integrity are a foundation that supports being able to do this work in all aspects of our life. Now, this ability to focus and this ability to open is actually quite sophisticated. It's not beginning stuff. It's actually quite sophisticated movement. But both are needed. We need to have times when we can focus on tasks at hand, and we need to be times where we open up and see things in a much larger, wider perspective. And to have the discernment to know when is the right time to do that takes some skill. So that's enough for me. Let's open this up for discussion. Okay, you had a question. Yeah, thank you again for coming. Hmm. My question, I guess, was on your posture and, and sitting you talked about. So uh, are you suggesting, like, for example, I'm slouching right now because that's the natural, comfortable posture that I've developed over long years and a bad one, but, but I just, body goes to it. Are you suggesting that whenever I'm sitting, I should be sitting on the edge of the seat? No. No. But there are times when you sit on the edge of the seat that it helps you to focus and relax your body in a way where when you're slouching, it's a little bit different. So, you know, with any of these things, it's a question of what's useful. And so I notice for myself, I relax more. I actually relax more when I sit on the edge of the seat. Because when I'm slouching, it, it, it has the appearance of relaxing, but actually, what ends up happening is I end up feeling more tired sometimes. Okay? So, it's a, it, Vic, with skillful means, it means that you need to be discerning about 
what you're doing at a particular time and why. And so if it feels much more comfortable just to relax like this and then to bring your attention in a kind of really relaxed posture like this, please do that. But know also that when you sit with your back upright, it's going to have a slightly different effect on your whole body. And that also might be something worth exploring, how that affects you. All right? And how often during the day should I, since I have all these years of doing it a different way, in order to make a change, how often, like sitting in the office, how often should I do this? Well, I think for everybody here, what would be really more important than sitting on the edge of the chair is to change your focus of attention so that you're just attending to what your body is doing when you're sitting first, before you shift the posture. So just allow your attention to drop into your body many times during the day, okay? So when you're working on the computer or when you're talking to somebody on the telephone or whatever, between calls, rather than just go from one call to the next call to the next call, in between calls, just touch and see, well, what does your body feel like? While you're talking to somebody on the phone, just let your attention feel how your body feels, okay? The more you're able to have a thread of mindfulness connect with your body through the day, the more that will give you ballast to deal with some of these other things that we're having to deal with. It doesn't mean that you stop talking to people, and it doesn't mean that you carve out hours of the day where you're just sitting and you're not doing anything else. But periodically through the day, bring your attention to your body and see how that feels, how that helps you relax, how that helps you focus, how that helps you be responsive to what you need in the situation, what the other person needs in the situation. Thank you. Yes. I liken this to teaching yourself how to daydream because we don't consciously know we're daydreaming. Is when you're about to look up, when you go into a daydreaming mode, you're not really in control of it. It just sort of happens to you. And it was like conditioning yourself in a manner of being able to go into a different state of presence in that kind of manner. Getting in touch with your body. Yes, so we're not used to being in touch with our body, but the difference between that and a daydream is, is that in a daydream we're not really in control. It's sort of kind of like just floating. And when we bring attention to our body, we're not floating, we're grounded. What's, what is, what's similar about that is, is, is that we're doing something that we're not used to. Yeah, We're not used to voluntarily going into a daydream, right? We're not used to voluntarily becoming really connected with our body. So that usually happens if we're dancing or we're doing some kind of sports or we're outside for a long walk or something like that. But it's not something that we're used to doing deliberately through the day. We have set times for that, but it's not something that we normally do. Does that help you answer your question? Yeah. I think it feels similar. I guess being able to um, be peaceful and calm body sense is similar to how when I'm daydreaming. Okay. Or that stasis, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I, I, it, it feels similar. Okay. I think that what might be different is, is, is that I don't know how productive you are when you're daydreaming. 
But I know for myself that when I'm, my attention is really focused in my body, I can be very productive. You know, I can do a lot of things. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I understood that part. So, see, when I'm focusing on my body, I'm not doing anything else. I'm just focusing on my body. So productive in meaning of bringing attention to my body. Is that what you meant? So this is the difference between a singular focus and a wide-open focus. In a singular focus, where the only thing, Vic, you're focusing on your body, then it's going to be difficult for your attention to be something else, to something else. But we, can, we, had, a, we had a few exercises but just before you came, you know, walking and standing and talking with each other. And it's not as if the talking stopped, but the talking was grounded from a place of being focused in our body. Okay? Like we did last time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a difference between having that as a kind of reference point of where our attention returns to, and that is a focus point where that's the only thing that our attention is focused on. One is inclusive, the other is exclusive. So the same confusion in that I can see how I can take a moment and focus my breath or like touch my body and then I move on to something else and, and take that, that feeling which maybe has like a day great feeling I don't know but it's I mean it's more I do think I would be more focused than moving into something else but uh, whether it's interaction with the person with email or you know something else but it's hard for you to think of doing the thing both simultaneously being, being you know focused on my body while I'm interacting with you so when, when okay, so what we're used to doing is absorbing into whatever it is that we're focusing on. Yeah. Okay, so concentration is one element of meditation, and mindfulness is another element of meditation. With concentration, we're absorbing or focusing on the object at hand, and on mindfulness, there's the clarity of what's happening, but not at the expense of other things that are happening. So we don't focus on something in order to push the other things out of focus, out of the attention. So that last exercise of body like a mountain, breath like the wind, and mind like the sky, the focus was very open. Everything was welcome. Thoughts and feelings and images, all of it was welcome. Nothing was excluding anything else. It was all welcome. It's very different from just focusing on one thing. And having that one thing then put everything else in abeyance. Okay? Both are needed. These are two different muscles of meditation that need to be developed. Focus and wide open. Focus and wide open. Interesting is when you talked before about focusing on you the whole room. I thought, well, it actually be in some ways easier to focus on the whole room than to really focus on you or any person who's talking because there's a lot more I'm focused on you in terms of what you're saying you know how you're saying it etc cetera, etc cetera, then just focus on the room but I guess you're when you said focus on the room you meant you and the room that's right yeah. yeah there was a question in the back yes yeah well I could go to those different places because I was being guided by you uh, it's part of me to do that on my own so when we were finished with uh, uh, the exercise, I was thinking it would be helpful for me personally 
to do some kind of guided meditation by myself that is more, this is what I'm trying to do, I've got to control my breath, relax my body to this place, oh, now I'm in a, a trance state, and I'm going through that process as opposed to just uh, having a guided flow, so to speak. So there's a couple of elements to that and that you bring up which are really correct. Okay, so having teachers and having a community and doing things together has a totally different feeling to it than when we're on our own trying to figure it out. Yeah? And yet, for the reality for most people is is that it's not that often that they're around teachers and in a community of people doing this. Okay? Most of the time, we're on our own figuring it out. And so knowing how or having a, a situation that's supportive and then learning how to take the tools that are offered in that supportive context and develop them in your own situation is really vital. But why I keep bringing up the fact that there are ways that you can support each other in between these sessions is important because you know many of you have similar kinds of life work environments. Yeah, I imagine. You know, probably there's more similarities than there are differences. And yet there are ways that you would be able to support each other to maintain the thread or the theme or the inquiry or the interest or the motivation just by being in contact, you know? Um, whether you want to share emails, whether you want to create a Facebook group, whether we want to have some kind of a blog thing where people are posting questions or discussions or something like that, so that there's a, a theme or a thread that is continued and carried on and, and topics are explored in between sessions. It's helpful. In fact, I would say it's more than helpful. I would say that the way a group of people can support each other moves more towards something um, closer towards essential rather than helpful. So the, the part that you talked about, you know, act, act, acting with integrity and acting with uh, ethically. And so I guess, you know, clearly uh, I suspect, I mean, it certainly is for me a challenge for all of us in our professional lives and our personal lives to, to, to deal with those issues as we deal with the realities that surround us and, you know, our own ways and our own desires also play into that. So, so I guess, you know, the, the, the question that comes to my mind is that the, the interpretation of what's ethical, and let me just, let me relate to a business situation where when you're laying off, which you were, you, I thought you were implying when you were talking about that, that you're laying off a number of people uh, from, a, from a company. So a one interpretation could be that that's a, perhaps a cruel act. And, but another interpretation is that perhaps you're saving the company and saving the job and the environment for a large number of people, not all. So there is a, clearly isn't the same interpretation or what's an ethical act, or what's an act of integrity, you know, uh, depends on whose point of view that is. So, so is, and any thoughts, any comments on that? So this is a very rich conversation, Vic, and um, maybe in the next sessions we can open it up further than just now, because, you know, what you're talking about is very important. It's not the action, it's the intention behind the action that really is the determining factor about whether it's based in something which is ethically sound or not ethically sound. 
And the way the Buddhist framework operates is that there isn't some kind of an external judge that's sitting there handing out commandments and saying, you know, that's wrong and this is right. But the way it was shaped up as a, as a guideline to not kill living beings or human beings, to not steal or take what's not given, to not engage in sexual misconduct, to refrain from divisive speech, slanderous speech, um, useless speech, um, or untruthful speech, and to refrain from drugs and drink and um, substances which confuse the mind. So the kind of basic guidelines are very broad. And then within that, everyone is going to find or need to find their own reckoning of what is true and what is consistent with their values. And the way in the framework that I come from, the most important thing is what's the motivation behind your action. If the motivation is based on compassion, is based on wisdom, is based on clarity, it's going to have a very different effect than if the motivation is based on greed, is based on anger, or is based on confusion. All right? So it's not the action as much as the motivation of what's behind it as determine whether something is ethically sound or not ethically sound. Now, any a human being in any circumstances is going to have ethical issues that they're going to have to navigate. And how they navigate them depends on all kinds of factors, you know. But this certainly is an important thing that we need to look at when we're wanting to bring mindfulness into the workplace because, you know, the kind of decisions that we have to make and where they're coming from is going to have an impact on ourselves and on all kinds of other people, all right? It's not, this does not work by saying it's not okay to lay off people. It doesn't work by making those kind of judgments or saying that to, to, to lay anybody off is therefore an unskillful action. It's not as simplistic as that. But what it's saying is, is that if, like the uh, example that I use, is if there's some kind of a, a very aggressive takeover, which then results in large masses of people being uh, unemployed, you know, then it would be wise to consider one's motivations in doing that and how that is actually part of a larger picture, you know. Um, it's not just about laying people off, but the motivations behind it, you know. Does that help answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it, it doesn't resolve the issue, but on the same issue, the interpretation of those actions are going to be very different. That's right. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I found very interesting when I was living in the monastery in England was is that there was a lay group of people that formed themselves where they talked about these topics of different kinds of issues related to ethics in the workplace and at home that as monastics we were not having to deal with because of we were living with a different set of standards, you know. But they were very alive and very real. And so here was a group of people who were all committed to meditation and all committed to living harmlessly and all committed to doing what they could to move out of suffering for themselves and to create that conditions that would support that for other people. And there are all these issues that would arise in their family life and their home life and their work life. And they found it really helpful with other people who are also similarly committed to talk about the same things. Yeah? Yes, Robert? Uh, a few years ago, I had the wonderful experience of uh, multiple betrayals in my life, and then I had the uh, uncomfortable experience of taking responsibility for all of those. But one thing that came out of it was about ethics. 
And the uncomfortable reality for me was learning that people's ethical line was placed just on the other side of their behavior, no matter what their behavior was. I'm not following. Say that in another way. The line of what was ethical and not ethical? Mm-hmm. The placement of that line was for many people that they placed that line just on the other side of their behavior. So their internal standard was not really solid. It was just really based on what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So they were always right. Okay. So they justified whatever action they took by creating an answer in their own head that I am acting in a way that that's consistent with their own values. Yes. But it, uh, I, I know a friend who used to give this speech. He would, in a very ringing way, say, on this rock I stand and the world will adjust to me. And then one of my other friends said, yeah, but his rock has wheels on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Good. No more questions. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.